0: All right. We are in a series on making disciples, and we have looked at the foundation of that, which is grace, the dynamics of uh, the process involving the hope of God's promises. We trust Him, the one who promised, not the promises. That's what faith is all about. And God has both given us those promises because of His love, but He's uh, shed His blood. his love also into our hearts. Um, We looked at lordship, the confession of lordship that involves our trust and obedience, and that that is a struggle because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then we uh, looked specifically at the three great commandments, to love God, to love our neighbor, and to love one another. And we looked at those as the summary of all the things that God has commanded us to do. Last time we looked at the Ten Commandments, the first five connecting to loving God, the second five connecting to loving our neighbor, and then we split out in the neighbor concept uh, the idea that we are to love one another, the new commandment that Jesus gave us, and that is at a higher priority. We love our neighbor as ourself, we love one another as Christ loved us. There's a, a greater level of commitment to one another and the unity that comes out of that. This week we're going to look at the skills that inform our understanding of lordship and obedience and which produce, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the congregation, our spiritual maturity. There are a lot of churches where people gather and they're pretty much in the same spiritual condition for year after year after year. They get older but they don't become more mature in the Lord. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord into maturity both ourselves and in connection to each other. And so this spiritual maturity comes from what we call spiritual disciplines. Now there are a lot of lists of spiritual disciplines, some as many as 40 or 50 spiritual disciplines. The reality is that that's hard as a catechesis for people to remember. And so, I'm going to do the same thing we did with the commandments, with the spiritual disciplines. And we're going to look at the primary three. Those primary three are um, um, obedience to the scriptures, prayer to God, and denial of the appetites of the body through fasting. All of these are addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. And they are read systematically and traditionally by Christians at the beginning of Lent. So we're going to look at that passage and then we're going to look at some others. And then starting next week I'm going to take each of these and go into a more practical thing. Really talking about what we can do in teaching our children about that since we're focused on the discipleship of our children. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin with the first four verses. And we'll use uh, the text in Matthew 6 as our introduction to the three. Now, you have probably heard that the first one is study of the scriptures. Study of the scriptures has become the uh, primary evangelical spiritual discipline. But the study of the scriptures seems to have the end of knowing the scriptures, not doing the scriptures. And that's a big difference. So, I'm going to call this discipline obedience to the scriptures because there's no point in knowing them if you're not going to obey them. It's not a a jeopardy game where we just try to come up with the answers. So, beginning at uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says these words. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that the thing will be done in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, so where's the text about the scriptures? Why is the scriptures this first discipline? Well, Jesus is talking about uh, obedience and he calls it practicing righteousness. That term, practicing righteousness, not a common term, among evangelicals, it's one that we should use. John addresses this in First John chapter three. I'd like you to turn there. We've looked at this before. I want to tie these things together. In First John chapter three, uh, beginning at verse three, John says, "Those who have uh, have hope. We have hope from God. Have." And that hope is fixed on him, not in the promise, but in the promiser, purifies himself even as he is pure. Now to be pure means to be single-minded, to be focused on one thing. And then he says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. Sin is known through the scriptures because we don't know what the law is teaching without the scriptures. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness, there's that phrase again, practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed abides in him, he cannot sin, Because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, what I want you to see is we only know these commandments, we only know how to practice righteousness, that is, doing the right thing, and we only know what sin is from the scriptures. So it is from the scriptures that we get the knowledge of the commandments and the knowledge of how far we uh, fall from the mark of the commandments. So notice again the word practice. We've talked about this before. The person who practices something doesn't do it perfect, but their intent is to improve. So the goal of the Christian life is to improve in our practice of righteousness, not our practice of sin. We don't sin that grace may abound. Thank God there is grace. But our focus is on improving our walking according to God's commandments, as we've seen in the last few texts. Uh, So those acts of righteousness, the doing of the commandments, doing correct things, behavior is the goal and the will of God for us as believers. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God begins to give these commandments uh, to Israel. Uh, This is the statement about them. And in chapter 8 verses 1 to 6, Uh, Moses tells Israel, this is the next generation. Uh, They've gone through the wilderness. The older generation has dropped off. The next generation is now being told the same thing. Obey God. The commandments don't save you, but the commandments include the blessing and the watch care of God over you. And when you don't do those, God's watch care uh, backs off. He He doesn't abandon you, but he does treat you differently in that context. So, it says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Remember that the commandments were given to Israel so that God could bless them in the land. Ultimately, when the kingdom comes, they will be in the land. They will be fully obeying the commandments. And that's the direction. And he told them that they wouldn't be able to do it fully, but that's their focus. That's their goal. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3 He humbled you and let you be hungry fed you with manna that you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. He says, your clothes didn't wear out. God is reminding them that the difficulties that they experienced because they weren't obedient to him were his testing of them to see what was in their heart. Was their heart a heart that wanted to follow God? Or was their heart a heart that wanted to follow themselves? And he says, we don't live by bread alone, but by everything, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, that word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is what we have in our scriptures. And therefore, we must be reading the scriptures, we must be learning the scriptures... We must be understanding the scriptures and we must be doing the scriptures. That's what practicing righteousness is. Now, we have this also in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the context of uh, Paul saying that... Uh, uh, that they are uh, going to run into difficult times in the last days. Uh, We're closer there than they were. In verse 10 he says, Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, and the persecutions I entered, and out of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, that is, to practice righteousness, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. However, you continue in the things that you've learned, become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the person of God, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The scriptures are there to teach us how to live, and therefore spiritual discipline of obedience to the scriptures is part of that. Now James makes it clear to us that it's not about Bible study. So in the book of James chapter 1, we get a passage that you are all familiar with. Uh, it is one that we uh, have heard all of our life. And we've probably got it memorized. Uh, in John chapter, I mean James 1, 22, he says, But prove yourselves, demonstrate yourselves, doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, that man will be blessed in what he does. And then he says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, But he deceives his heart. His religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God the Father is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now this brings us back to why Jesus is talking about practicing righteousness. And he doesn't mention the word. They know that the practice of righteousness is found in the word and they know that they're supposed to be doing it. Though he will remind them of that in the earlier chapter. Uh, uh, In the next chapter he will tell them you are to build your house, build your life on the rock. My teachings, what I'm telling you because the storms of life are coming and you will not stand without it. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says... That the commandments are not going away. That the Torah, not one jot or tittle will pass from the commandments until and the prophets until it's all fulfilled and heaven and earth has passed away. And as you know, that hasn't happened. So the discipline of knowing the word involves systematic reading of the scriptures, memorization of the scriptures, study of the scriptures, and the doing of the scriptures. We're going to talk about that next week. Uh, I want to move on to the second major um, discipline that we should be participating in. And that one is found again in Matthew. We go back to Matthew. We read verse 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 5. Jesus then says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you have need of before you ask. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven Our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, this statement on this spiritual discipline, which is about prayer, uh, is important. The term for prayer here and others in the scriptures, involve approaching God in praise, and in petition, and in adoration. But it's done in humility. Prayer is generally given to the Father, in the name of the Son, uh, by means of or through the Holy Spirit. We're given here a basic prayer, which has been patterned, and many have noticed this, on the Amadah, or the standing prayers, which is the heart of the Jewish liturgy. That pattern of prayer blesses God, whose name is holy, acknowledges that his kingdom is coming, it asks for God's provision and guidance, and it addresses forgiveness and reconciliation with others, all done in an attitude of humility. And notice that knowing about forgiveness is not what it's about. It's doing the forgiveness. We're back to the doing of the word. Now, this notion of prayer is... Probably the hardest discipline. When I talk to people and I ask them about their prayer life, that's the one. We can find a way to get into a habit of reading the Bible. We can we can get into uh, other kinds of habits, coming to, to service and that kind of thing. But prayer generally is a struggle. I'm going to talk much more about it when we talk about prayer in detail. But one of the things that's important is to understand that prayer needs to be done in a number of ways. And one of those ways is uh, dealing with our anxiety. So Philippians chapter 4, again a passage that you're very familiar with. uh, We want to look at, I want to remind you of what that text says. It's important to teach your children this process, uh, but it's more than a process. It's actually uh, communicating and talking with God. So he says in Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, uh, always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. That's that humility. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I think we probably do this pretty well. When we're stressed, when there's an emergency, when there's a problem, we don't have any problem going to prayer and asking other people to go to prayer. The problem is we don't finish the text Once we do that prayer, the scripture says the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what we generally do is we get that sense of peace, we leave the place of prayer, we go right back out and look at the things that cause us anxiety, and then we're anxious again. And that's not what we're supposed to do. This is a moving away from the things that bring us anxiety. Anxiety, giving them to God, having our mind focused on Him, and then turning our hearts and minds onto other things. So he says, finally brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, of good report, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things which you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we get the world causes us anxiety. We go to the Lord. We get peace. Now we're supposed to put our mind on biblical, spiritual good things and practice righteousness. Get back in the process of following God and not being focused on the world. Boy, the number of people that uh, get anxious because of what they see on the news, and then they turn to Facebook or some social media to express it, to vent, so that they think they feel better, and then they get trashed by a bunch of other people and it goes back and forth and they're not any better off than they were. The reality is we get away from those things of the world, we get our mind back on God, back on the things of God and living our life as he's told us, a simple, humble life and we'll find ourselves with the peace of God being with us in that context. The other thing that is important is that there are formal prayers to be done Uh, as well. Again, I'm not going to cover them all today, but I just want to look at this one particularly because we're coming up on 4th of July here. It's 1st Timothy chapter 2. In 1st Timothy chapter 2, Paul says to them, to Timothy, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petition and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed as a preacher and apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. We're not praying in anger. We're not praying in division. We are to find unity and peace, and we are to pray for our leaders. That we can lead a quiet and peaceable life in this land. We're not praying to fix the world. The world isn't going to be fixed. We're praying that we can live a quiet life in there. We want a life of peace, a life of tranquility. As much as is possible, we live at peace with all men. And therefore, we pray for all men in that context. So this 4th of July, when you're eating hot dogs and hamburgers and all the stuff, remember that we want to pray for this country, that we, Jews and Christians, can lead quiet and peaceable lives in this land. And then we have to act appropriate uh, to those prayers. So, prayer keeps us mindful of God, so His presence and goodness reinforces our faith and our obedience. And as I said, it's one of the hardest things for us to do. Uh, I'm going to talk about it in a more practical way and, and a way to teach our children to be prayers, not to give laundry lists to God. Jesus said, he knows what you have need of. That should be the small part of our prayers. The majority of our prayers should be acknowledging God, praising God, and seeking guidance from the Lord uh, and wisdom from the Lord. So We'll talk about that next time. So the third one, we go back to Matthew chapter 6, is found in verse 16. Jesus continues and says, When you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So this text doesn't say if on occasion there's nothing else you can do and you have to fast. It basically assumes you're going to fast. This text that Jesus gave assumes we are going to study the scriptures to do them it assumes we are going to seek God's face in prayer that he may be with us and he may guide us and that we are going to fast in the context of this. And what fasting is is um, an infliction of the soul, the person, the total person through the denial of basic appetites. And those appetites are food, water, sex, sleep, and any behavior of pleasure that focuses on ourself. Now, the spiritual discipline of fasting is much better known in the liturgical traditions because they have the traditional fast days. And among evangelicals and among Baptists, it's just not that common. It was at one time, but it's not been as common in the last 50 or 60 years. So it's important to understand that fasting is about self-denial, It's about self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And fasting is something that is done for several reasons. Again, they can be personal. And here Jesus is encouraging the personal fasting because no one else is supposed to know. Now, if it's Yom Kippur and you're fasting, everybody else knows you're fasting. If it's uh, Good Friday and you're fasting, everybody knows you're fasting because those are traditional fast days. And so if you're coming out of a liturgical tradition, everybody knows that. And they had that in the time of Jesus. But he's talking here about personal. He's talking about fasting before the Lord. And one of those is done in a way that allows us to... Um, seek the protection of the Lord. I'd like you to turn to Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 6. Okay, I've done it again. I've given myself the wrong... the wrong text. I did that two weeks ago and now I've done it again. This one is talking about them uh, uh, observing the feast of unleavened bread for seven days, which is a form of fasting. Uh, so let me let me just talk about it. When they are under pressure and when they are under attack, they call together a fast. And the purpose of the fast, uh, let's try chapter 8. Maybe that's it. There we go. Uh it was chapter 8, not 7. I've got new glasses too, so between those two, I'm in trouble. He says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him for a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorable disposed to all of us who seek him, but his power and his anger are against those who forsake him. In other words, I'm, I'm saying who God is. God is with us. God will take care of us. All of that stuff. So I'm not going to ask the king to help us because we've already said our God is going to help us. So I'm calling a fast. So we fasted and we sought our God concerning this matter. And he listened to our entreaty. And so this prayer and fasting go together. We run into that quite a bit. It's not just praying, it's fasting. It's denying the flesh, it's afflicting the flesh to say to God, what matters to me is this, not even my eating, or my drinking, or my life, in that, in that sense. Now, repentance and mourning may also be involved in fasting. If you look at the uh, book of Joel... Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. The prophet says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Now the idea here is that true repentance is a turning from the indulgence of oneself to obedience to the Lord. And that involves humbling yourself. Afflicting yourself. And then walking in his ways. Uh, in 1st Samuel uh, chapter 31. 1st Samuel thirty-one thirteen. We see that fasting is also associated with mourning. Uh, this is where they take the bones of Saul and Jonathan. They took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jubesh and fasted seven days. We see that uh, sitting Shiva, that seven day mourning of, of Judaism that's there. And, and that involves a uh, not eating during the daylight time. In that context. So, fasting is used for returning to God. Fasting is used in mourning. Fasting is used in seeking the Lord. All of those ways are part of it. It, it adds intensity to the prayers. And again, we'll talk about that uh, later. But I want you to realize because the tendency is for us to think, well, they fasted in the Old Testament, don't have to in the New Testament. They, the people came to Jesus' disciples. Uh, And they said to Jesus, the Pharisees fast, and the disciples of the others fast, but your disciples don't fast. And Jesus said to them, when the bridegroom is with them, they don't fast. But when the bridegroom is taken from them, then they will fast. So Jesus said that his disciples would fast. And in Acts chapter 13... Verses uh, 1 to 3. It says, Now there were in Antioch at the church, uh, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, who is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Again, whenever something serious is going on and directly involved the calling of the name of the Lord, there is fasting involved in the discipleship. So we're going to talk about that more. Particularly, we're going to talk about Isaiah 58, which we read every year at Yom Kippur. The true fast of God is not the symbolic fast. It's not the giving up of food. It's not the giving up of uh, water. It's not the giving up of sleep. It's the giving up of doing your way to do God's way and help those. And we're back to the commandments, the care for the poor and the care for the widow. In, in every case... It all brings us back to doing the commandments of God. So self-denial is focused on bringing us back to the practicing of righteousness and the benefiting of others. So fasting involves self-limitation so that we may have self-control. As I said, that's a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us in this to do the right thing. Now these basic disciplines, as we've seen, uh, form us into a self-disciplined person Who's aware of God and a doer of the word. So we'll never be done with these three spiritual disciplines. The focus on the word, ultimately that we will do it. The prayer to God, staying in his presence, being aware of his watch care over us. And that is a major problem in this culture. With all the secularism. Because secularism is basically a sense of a no-God zone. And so we have to find a way through our prayer life. To always be aware that God is interacting in everything that's going on in our life. And then in a culture that is so self-indulgent. Self-denial through fasting is important. Now fasting must be done with humility. Remember the two men who went up to the temple to pray. And the one said, I'm grateful, God, that I'm not like this jerk. Because I fast twice a week and I pay tithes and I do all this stuff. And the other guy couldn't even raise his hands to God. He simply said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. See the arrogance and the humility? Jesus said, the one who was humble before God was the one who went to his house justified. That humility is the pathway to practicing the righteousness of the commandments of God because it is our self-arrogance that says, I can do it myself. I have a better way. This is not practical. I need to do it that way. And it draws us into the world and into the flesh and in the way of the devil. So, The practicing of righteousness is part of the lifestyle of a believer. Practicing, not perfection, growing in grace and in knowledge, doers of the word, seekers of God's face, and self-denying humility before the Lord and before other people. Those spiritual disciplines are the eating, brushing your teeth, and putting on clothes... We do those things every morning to go out. We should do these on a regular basis. I'm going to talk about how we can do that uh, next time. um, And we'll take them one at a time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.